This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The facts that will be presented are true. Scientists representing the world's foremost research centers took part in the examination of the evidence. everybody i'm chris i'm chad and together we're a pair of normal guys that's right we sure are usually <laughs> we're as normal as we can be well like i always say that's subjective that's true it's all about interpretation what country you're from local traditions we do have some very interesting countries listening now we do don't we we had one from greece yeah <laughs> do you notice we get a lot of boomerang listeners in australia they listen and they come oh. back listen again well, they're gone. <laughs> so, uh, once again, unfortunately, we're going to forego the Pero News stories. Thank goodness. No, I know, it's a long track over to the Pero News desk, isn't it? It is. It's at least two, three inches away. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we are forgoing the Pero News stories for a very, very good reason this week. That's right. Super special show. That's right. Because... We have an interview set up for all the Pongite Nation mm-hmm. that is I, completely I, awesome. Because I like monsters. I know you like monsters. I do like monsters. All the people listen to us like monsters. Especially, well, now, wait, remember, I have that deep-seated hatred of the Orang Pindak. Yeah, but that's just you. Nobody, Other people that, like that, it. It's a monkey. Everybody what? needs to shut up. About that video I just saw, it looked like a no, guy in his it's... underwear running down the road. <laughs> or that, whatever. Okay. But anyway, Chad, why don't you... uh? Tell the listeners uh, what we have going on for this show. Well, we're going to dedicate this show to small town monsters. Yes, we are. All right. And today we're going to be talking to Seth Breedlove. He is the director, producer, writer, editor, a radio host. He's a virtual Swiss Army knife of talent, the brains (laughs) behind small town monsters. He's given us uh, awesome crypto documentaries, such as the Minerva Monster, the Beast of Whitehall, Boggy Creek Monster, and soon the Mothman. Hello, Seth. How are you today? I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I saw earlier you've been uh, up for quite a while working on the uh, editing on The Mothman. Yeah, I've pulled, I don't know how many hours this week. It's probably like approaching 60 maybe because like I was up till, I know the one day I woke up at like 6 a.m. and started working and did not shut off my desk light until after 10, so 10 p.m., so... (laughs) We are we are in the crunch. It's funny because like every time we we work on a movie, I have every intention of like setting a realistic 
deadline and like we talk about it in advance and I'm like, well, you know, like we don't want to kill ourselves. So let's keep it kind of vague. And then at the last minute, we'll announce what the deadline is. That way we don't have to push it out, you know, or, or stress out about finishing the movie in time. And on this one, I was, I was 100% fine until like last week. And then I realized my wife is, is now down to like three weeks from having this baby mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I really need to get this movie done before the baby shows up. So right. I've been burning the candle at both ends to to finish the movie. But mm-hmm. I can say it's it's going to be an awesome movie. It's it's um we watched it yesterday for the first time, like where we actually sit down and watch the movie through. And you know, like there's the usual issue, you know, like pacing issues and things like that that you got to figure out. You know, that's the whole point of rough cuts. But the the movie is so full of awesome stories and characters and um visuals and and we don't that's the crazy thing is like we don't even have some of the visual elements in place yet for the movie um but we got some some really cool stuff yesterday uh from a friend of mine who does cgi and we have abstained from cgi Uh monsters in our movies until mothman and but I, which concerned me, I didn't know, you know, like we we don't do recreations, not typical recreations, and and I kind of hate recreations in general, just as a personal thing. But we didn't want to do recreations on this movie, um, but I did want to have some sort of like visual, live action, like visual elements that would kind of put people in the mindset of what it would be like seeing the Mothman. So we, I talked to a buddy of mine who does uh, special effects, and he thought he could pull it off in a way that would still be kind of in keeping with what we do, which is usually it's super vague, you know, kind of like weird silhouettes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's, unless it's an illustration and what he turned in was so awesome. Cause it's like, it's still, it gives you that sense that you're there and you're experiencing seeing this creature for, for the first time. Um, but it's also super, you know, vague, ambiguous, what you're actually seeing and, Dark shadows with red eyes is how I would describe it. Chasing cars on back roads at night. So um, I think it's I think it's going to be visually our, our most interesting movie for people. We have a guy, Chris Chris Scaff. He's actually doing fully animated three fully animated sequences in the movie, um, and he does he has a really cool kind of art style. It's it's basically like he does paintings, and then he kind of animates them and brings them to life. Like the animatics so kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And his style is so cool. He's done like he's done work for Star Wars, um, you know, like Godzilla, major major comic publications and stuff like that. And uh, I got to meet him last summer because his son Brandon actually did some work for us on the Boggy Creek Monster movie. And Chris also had a couple of illustrations in the movie, but I wanted to work with him on something original, so he originally approached me about contributing to the movie. And I was thinking, you know, well, maybe, maybe I can convince this guy to do like, you know, uh, one, one little 20 second sequence or something, but he's actually doing about 10 minutes of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've noticed like one thing that I like ever since we, we like met you guys at the Mothman festival and I picked up the DVDs. One thing that I've noticed with all of your, um, promotional uh, artwork and things like that is it's all really stunning. It's great artwork. All the visuals in the documentaries are good. And when I watch them, 
um, you get that feel that you didn't, that I, I haven't, there's a lot of documentaries that have come out that I haven't had that same kind of feeling that I had since I was younger and saw like the seventies documentaries on stuff. It's that, um, you really feel like he's out there, you know, he is talking to these people that were part of the story and it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, back in the day they would go and, you know, we were attacked and they talked and they do the interviews with all the actual witnesses and your, um, documentaries are just fit in that vein. They make, they take me back to, uh, like, you know, when I was a kid and I was watching stuff from the seventies, but, um, in search of, yeah, in search of, in search. I've just been watching in search of episodes while I've been working this last week. Um, yeah. so what, before we really talk a little bit more about the documentary, what really got you into supernatural cryptids and what did you watch when you were growing up that kind of got you into this vein, this mindset? I, well, uh, it's movies that got me into all this. So like, um, in 2002, the Mothman Prophecies movie came out and that was kind of the first inkling I had that people believed there was a reality behind monsters because the Mothman Prophecies, before that, I, I don't think I'd ever given a second thought to Bigfoot or, or any of that stuff. I know lake monsters has, had always kind of fascinated me and they still do, um, but nothing as far as like cryptids really caught my imagination as a kid so it wasn't until like 2002 when I was you know in my early 20s um when the Mothman Prophecies movie came out and I remember my sister bought the book the John Keel book and I skimmed through it and and I think that was kind of my introduction to this stuff and then shortly after that a friend of mine um who was really into Bigfoot uh, the Bigfoot phenomenon he burned a cd with like all these documentaries on it mm-hmm. um and it it had you know like a monster quest episode and i want to say like meldrum's documentary and some stuff like that and there was some ufo hunters episodes and things like that on it and um i guess he gave it to me because he thought i was weird <laughs> and and he figured since i was weird I, I must be into that stuff so um I watched I watched all that stuff and um, pretty much instantly was totally captivated and never really looked back after that. I mean, it was a it was like a longer baptism into the actual community and all that stuff. But but the time from where I started paying attention to cryptozoology and ufology and paranormal to where we're at now, um, you know, it's it's not a terribly long period of time. And I've read a, in that time, I've read like a ton of books and kind of, you know, devoured as much information on this stuff as I can. Although I really think I started out more of a ufology guy than a Bigfoot crypto guy. And, you know, which I totally understand saying this, the Bigfoot community is a crazy place sometimes. Yeah, it can be a little sorted. <laughs> and now, Seth, I, a question I have is, uh, you know, you say... Uh, the Mothman prophecies is kind of was your introduction into cryptids, if you want to put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. So, in the background, has the Mothman always kind of been there on the back burner when you're doing, you know, Beast of Whitehall, Minerva Monster, Boggy Creek? You know, we're going with hominids, and then you know we change course and all of a sudden get Mothman. Has, has that kind of always been in the back of your mind? Of of I would really like to do one on Mothman. Yeah, I think 
I think Mothman was even in in my initial proposal. Although I know the first proposal I sent out was more about just Bigfoot type okay. creatures, but I know I know that was always something that I wanted to do because to me the the two biggest um, examples of of the kind of small town cryptid uh, mascot phenomenon are um, the the Falk monster and the Mothman. And right. so, so, you know, like when I look into the small town monster cases outside of the movies, what really drew me to the thing as a, as a whole wasn't just, um, you know, these really cool sighting stories. It was also like, okay, there's a really cool sighting story, but you've got these parameters that these stories typically follow, which are, you know, if someone has a sighting. Uh, it blows up in the local media or, or whatever, you know, word of mouth takes off or something like that. But eventually there's going to be a posse of people looking for the creature. Other people are going to have sightings in the area. And, you know, over time it kind of either balloons into a, a local cultural phenomenon or it, you know, is completely forgotten about like it was in the case of like the Minerva monster. Story. Right. Um, so, so with Mothman, I, I always thought that was like the perfect example of a small town monster because I don't think any town has embraced their local monster as much as Point Pleasant other than Falk. Um, and even Falk, you know, they don't have a statue of the, a monster in the middle of, of town square or something like they do in, in Point Pleasant. I mean, I, you know, like at the end of the movie, there's a line um, about how Point Pleasant's history is really fascinating. You know, it's like it's it's right on the banks of this this point where the Kanawha River and the the Ohio River kind of split, and it's so it's always had a lot of action around it. There's always been a lot, you know, like colonies were built on those banks, and and it's got a really bloody history and things like that. But the thing it's most remembered for is a cryptid monster sighting from the 60s right exactly and, and and you know that was the one thing uh i was really amazed at when we went to the mothman festival last year was you know the mothman he's one of my top favorite cryptids you know right after mr chupacabra but <laughs> mothman's right there and you know i knew the story but that's what amazed me once we got to point point pleasant is like you said how much that town just basically revolves around the mothman yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. And it's really crazy because it really is super historic. I mean, the, the town itself is such a fascinating history and you, you know, without even touching on stuff like Cornstalk and the curse of Cornstalk and all that, like completely leaving out the supernatural weirder aspects of the town's history. It's also a beautiful place. I mean, it's, it's incredibly peaceful. I can remember when a, a buddy of mine, Mark Maskey, told me before I had ever even gone, he said, I think you're going to like it there. There's this really weird vibe. And when I got down there, I didn't find like a weird vibe at all. I found like, I, I really thought it was incredibly peaceful. Right. Um, and and it, I get that same sense every time I go back there. So it's, it's kind of strange, but it, it, at the same time, I grew up in Bolivar, Ohio, which is like, uh, maybe an hour from Wheeling, West Virginia, you know, so when, when I was a kid, we didn't watch the Cleveland, we didn't get the Cleveland TV stations where we were with our rabbit ears uh, <laughs> on the TV. We got, we got the Wheeling, West Virginia stations. And 
I can remember when I was a kid watching the news and seeing reports about like UFOs and stuff down in the Ohio Valley. Oh yeah. And so, so I always wanted to do something that touched on not, not just like the, the cryptid, but like the, the Ohio Valley in general. And I don't, I don't know that we get to do that as much as I would have liked with this movie. Like, I almost feel like there's an entire documentary to be made just about the Ohio Valley weirdness. Right. Kind of bring in, you know, like the flat, the Flatwoods monster and, you know, some of the, the weirder stuff that goes on down in that area. But it definitely, the Mothman is kind of the perfect microcosm for everything that's gone on down in that area over the years. Right, Chad, you need to write that stuff down so we can uh, steal that idea for the movie. <laughs> <we're gonna make. laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hold on, I'm writing it down right. Um, so, Seth, when you when you were getting started with not just the Mothman documentary, but when you were working on the others, how hard was it to get in touch with uh, witnesses and relatives of witnesses and, you know, officials? And what kind of footwork went into that? Mothman was... Mothman was kind of easy, and and at the same time, I think it was extremely difficult, uh, probably the most difficult, because of the fact that one of the key players in our movie passed away, because uh, Carolyn Harris died in, what, like January or, or late December or something like that, mm-hmm. and she was supposed to play kind of a key role in the movie. Um, I really, I met her in a strange under strange circumstances i was down in point pleasant with um zach actually doing some shooting um around town with the christmas lights and everything we we knew we wanted to have the streets all decorated for christmas and everything for the silver bridge sequence in the film so we were down there shooting and i happened to be walking by Harris Steakhouse and she was in there alone and there were no customers or anything. So I, I, I just ran in real quick just to say hi and introduce myself. And I knew I wanted to talk to her for the movie. Um, and we talked for maybe like 10 minutes, 10, 12 minutes. And in that 10, 12 minutes that I was talking to her, I instantly was fond of her. You know, like she was one of those people who you just gravitate toward. And I really thought she had such a cool attitude but there was also some some aspects to her story um relating to the town and and her relationship with some people that died on the silver bridge and i really wanted to be able to put that in the movie and then she passed away like two weeks after we we met um so we you know stuff like that i'm not there's no way to adjust for that Yeah. yeah, especially when you when you've built the movie, like the movie we talked about making was not is not the same movie you're going to see when it comes out in June. The movie we talked about making would have been very different from our other movies. It would have focused much more on the people in the town, um, especially Kara, Carolyn, and kind of followed them around their day to day lives, and then talked more about. Um, you know their relationship with the culture and the, the the Mothman stories and legends, rather than just you know uh, eyewitness accounts and things like that. So the movie you're going to see in June isn't anything like what I think I originally envisioned the movie, and a lot of that has to do with Carolyn passing away. But at the same time, um, Jeff really helped. Jeff Wamsley really helped um, as far as like getting interviews set up and things with with other witnesses, and then Jeff gave us some really cool um, audio taped interviews he'd done with some witnesses who've passed away. So we have, we have some 
key witnesses actually to the to the Mothman legends who actually in one case I know for a fact they've never even been in a in another documentary so I think that's really cool um but we you know every movie has its challenges just on this one it's it was a shock to lose Carolyn because it it really did change the entire way the movie was made yeah I, yeah, I actually had talked to her a little bit when we were at the Mothman Festival. I went in, and she's she's very nice. She's a very nice person, and uh, I wanted to yeah. talk to her a little bit more. But we were heading back out. But yeah, that's that's it's tough to have an idea of what you're going to do and then have to completely change track like that. Yeah, yeah, it was we it was it was going to be much more of a handheld um, personal film than it than it is. It's now it's much more. Um, in keeping with with something like Boggy Creek Monster or Beast of White Hall. It's kind of like in between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also gives a really in-depth, like chronological look at how, how the timeline played out with everything happening. Um, and we, you know, because of the fact that it did shift gears, we get to give, you know, um, a, a section of the story to Mary Hyder and John Keel, which probably we wouldn't have had time for much more than a brief mention but they, they come into the film toward the, the midway point. And I, you know, we got to focus on Mary's relationship with the story and John's relationship with the story. And there's, there's a lot to the film and it's, it's full of like really great stories. It's just a completely different type of movie, you know, from what I had originally thought the movie would be. Okay. Now, uh, Seth talking about the Mothman and everything, I know when uh, Chad and I were at the festival, we actually did the uh, tour of the TNT factory and went up there. And they give a lot of good information on that tour. And they went into a lot of theories on the Mothman, things like that. And I don't know about you, but one of their theories was, you know, Sandhill Cranes. And, you know, when they, they, when they were talking about that, I thought, okay, they have reports of these people that saw the Mothman actually looking physically shaken and just scared to death. And I wouldn't think, you know, a two or three foot bird uh, flapping its wings at me would really scare me that much. So what's, what's kind of your personal theory on what the Mothman is, was, or what they saw? Yeah, the difficult, the difficult part about that question is there's so many different types of descriptions of what people saw and right. people are seeing so many different things that to, to just boil it down to like, I do, I believe in the moth man. It just depends. Um, I think some of the reports were of Sandhill cranes. I really do. I, I spoke with some bird people from up here in Ohio and, and they really believe that the, the, the the migration pattern correlates really well with the sightings because they travel from Canada down that direction in November. And and that's right when the sightings happen. And some of the sightings are clearly of a large bird. Um, But I don't think that's the bulk of them. I think that's a percentage of them are probably chalked up as a Santo crane. I think some of them might've been a large owl. I think Benjamin Enochs and Paul Yoder pretty much, definitively stated that what they saw was a really abnormally large owl. <laughs> um, and I got, I got to speak, I got to speak to one of those guys on the phone and he adamantly told me we saw a large owl. Like <laughs> that story has gone down in history as a Mossman story, but they saw an owl. Mm. Um, Men in black. Now, when you, 
<laughs> yeah. When you get, when you get into when you get into like the scarberries and the mallets, um, and you know, like Connie Carpenter and and those stories, that's that's where I'm still scratching my head at what they might have seen. Right. Right. Um, and you take the other thing that's difficult about these stories is how many when you when you're actually doing what we're doing, which is speaking to people in town who typically might not have anything to do with these sighting stories, you get all sorts of different takes on one story. So I actually got to talk to Kathy Wamsley, who's never spoken about this on film, and she will not be speaking about it on film in our movie either, unfortunately, despite uh, attempting to, to to talk her into it. But she, her, her like her recounting of the Marcella Bennett sighting is completely different from what Marcella Bennett told me or not told me, but you know, the, the story Marcella. Right. Bennett told. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's not, that's not terribly unusual for these stories. It's just trying to figure out, well, who, who's misremembering and who might've just exaggerated something. And, you know, like, oh, yeah, exactly. Trying to piece everything kind of together for myself. But, um, the pat answer I've been giving is I, I don't think that they were all just seeing Santo cranes and owls, you know, like I think there was definitely something else going on down there. I think there might've been something governmental taking place, um, you know, possibly military, possibly Russian spies. Poss- I mean, who knows? Yes. It's, it was such a, <laughs> the cold war, the, the Cold War era is so weird anyway. And then when you factor in stuff like this, it, it just makes it even weirder. And and that's kind of why I love it. See, I'm, I'm glad you said uh, Russians in there because, you know, one of my favorite uh, this is why it happened things on uh, our show, and Chad will attest to this, is I can attribute almost everything to a crazy Nazi scientist experiment. <laughs> well, the Russian the the reason the only reason I bring up the Russians is because of the fact that there was a naval headquarters there, not a naval headquarters, but there was definitely a, a naval base there. Um, there was the National Guard Armory there, and then the Point Pleasant itself is home to multiple um, military um, manufacturing companies, like companies that manufacture goods for the for the military. Um, so if you were going to, if there were going to be weird, possibly inhuman seeming, um, men wandering around in suits, uh, asking weird questions who possibly could have been Russian spies, it seems like they Point Pleasant would have been a perfect place. Exactly. (laughs) Not to mention Russia's had their own Mothman. That's right. Yes. Yes. Um, so Seth, when you're out at these locations, you guys decide to go out and shoot some night footage or travel off into the forest (laughs) with, uh, you know, your equipment. Have you had anything really weird or strange happen to you that you just, you couldn't account for? Um, on this movie, not really. Like, uh, I think with the Mothman story, the thing that was the strangest was our, just, just some things that happened technically on the back end, like after we got home with like, like audio, weird audio issues and things that shouldn't have happened that we still haven't figured out what went wrong exactly. Um, trying to think of like anything that actually happened down there. There was, there was a weird, uh, growl from a bush near, near one of our guys that took place 
after dark out of the TNT factory area one night. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that was just some small animal. So unfortunately I don't <laughs> think we had a run in with, with the Mothman down there. And, and, you know, like I'm not discounting any Mothman stories that take place after 67, but, but, um, that's, you know, like it, it really seems to me like for the most part, the Mothman as a whole in that area kind of did go away after 67 and i don't know if that's just me as a storyteller wanting it to be that way because that's just such a nice kind of bow on the whole thing uh-huh. um but but i just a lot of the sighting stories i've heard that took place after 67 you know to me it could be a bird or a, you know an abnormally large bird or something like that so i don't know i the 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 storyteller likes the idea that after the the bridge collapsed the mothman was gone see and that's the thing uh i'm a known uh scaredy cat of almost anything so uh i rewatched uh the minerva monster last night and the one part about about halfway maybe three-fourths of the way through where's the night vision shot going through the woods every time i see that the first thing that pops in my head is nope uh-uh. <laughs> Such a wuss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. well, the 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 Minerva the the thing about the Minerva area and being up in those woods is that that Minerva's like 20 minutes from where I grew up. And honestly, you could probably walk that same wood line to my parents' house. Like it's it's, you know, the the river that runs or the creek that runs behind the Caton's home is a tributary of the river that runs behind my parents' house. So I don't know, being in, being in the woods all my life growing up as a kid, nothing about being in the woods in Minerva scared me. And really being out at like a bear road didn't scare me. Now, the only thing that creeped me out so far where we'd been when we were filming was, was Falk when we did the boggy Creek monster. Um, and that was mostly because of the fact that that after dark you could step on any number of things that will kill you instantly. <laughs> nice. Uh, <Yeah>. So so <laughs> so like it isn't even that I was scared of like the Boggy Creek monster or the Falk monster murdering us. It was more like I'm afraid of like a copperhead or a, a, you know like a scorpion or rabid dogs or something getting me <laughs> um, back in the woods. So down in down in Point Pleasant, we went out. Um, on the last day of filming, we went out in the TNT and we were out there after dark and there were storms in the distance. You could actually see the lightning in the distance, which was kind of cool. But, um, so it was pitch black and we were, we were back on the, one of the TNT igloo roads that is in the woods. So it's not even one of the ones where you kind of like river or lake or whatever pond in front of it. This was like trees on both sides. Um, so it was dark as could, could be back there. And, and even then it was like, well, you know, I'm with five other guys, what's going to happen? Like, unless the Mothman picks us off one by one, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> Plus by then, you know, by that time we were so tired from filming all day. I, I death would have been a welcome relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, uh, when we went to the igloos, uh, we took the latest, I think, tour it was, and it was dark when we went. And yeah, that it's just a creepy vibe altogether out there. You're walking out mm-hmm. through there, and they're going, "Yeah, there's Satanists and uh, 
oh, just all sorts of things that manifest out here that people talk about. And you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to get in the middle of the group. Actually, yeah. I think I stayed towards the back just so everybody else <laughs> could run ahead. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Seth, when you were down there talking to people, you're like, okay, we're doing this small fan documentary. And, you know, did you have random people run up to you and say, well, I don't have a Mothman story, but there's a Dogman or a Bigfoot or something like that we've seen out here. Does anybody bring anything like that up to you while you were, while you were there filming? No, which is unusual because I, I feel like the... I feel like there's got to be a, a decent amount of Bigfoot sightings in that area because I know Gallup Police, which is on the other side of the river, they, they, I mean, there's there's Bigfoot reports out of there all the time, and so I would imagine down in in Point Pleasant, there's got to be a, a a decent amount of them. But no, no one came up and had stories about anything. I didn't even speak to anyone who claimed to see Mothman, who I didn't set up an interview with. You know, like ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So, no, but you know, what's funny is like in reading over John Keel's work on the story, um, I'm wondering if there weren't some quote unquote Mothman sightings towards the end of, of 67 that weren't Bigfoot sightings. Really? Um, yeah, there's a weird thing that happens there where in November, um, uh, Wamsley, I cannot remember. One of the Wamsleys lives out in the in the TNT area at the time. Sees a um, red-eyed, glowing red-eyed creature. Obviously, she she believes it's it's Mothman. But then the next day, these hunters see a a running, you know, figure covered in hair, hair and it it gets written up as a Mothman report. And there's a few like that in in Keel's files and and his writings i bought i bought a book on amazon um by by john keel and it's kind of a collection of his magazine articles and essays and stuff and it's called the book of the mothman mm -hmm. and there's some stuff in that that isn't in mothman prophecies or you know his other books about mothman and and it really does almost seem like there's some some uh, corresponding phenomena taking place simultaneously because uh, some of those reports toward the end of 67 really sound like Bigfoot. Wow. I, I really, I knew there were Bigfoot stories from around that area, but I didn't know, I, I've never heard a correlation between Bigfoot and, and Mothman sighting confusion there. That's, that's pretty interesting. Right. Well, it becomes, it becomes about the, the change is that suddenly people start talking about how they're covered in hair. And and I can think of three reports that Keel talks about right off the top of my head, where where the the sighting witnesses say, you know, it was covered in hair, and that isn't anything that I find in the early Mothman reports. You know, with uh, with this kind of boom that we've had, it seems in the last maybe five ten years, I guess, if we don't go back that far, it seems like they're what, late 70s, maybe early 80s, there there were all kinds of things about, you know, Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, you know, any, UFOs, things like that. And then it seems like it went away. Like, everybody lost interest, it went away, and then all of a sudden, boom. You know, we, we've got multiple television shows about Bigfoot, all kinds of cryptids, all kinds of paranormal stuff. Chad and I have touched on this a couple times on the show before, but not ever really done a whole dedicated show about this. Do you think that a lot, because with the popularity of them, 
uh, there's more and more sightings of just things. So do you think that maybe there's a chance that some of these sightings with the popularity might be maybe tulpa related, like their thought form, and it's not really maybe the original creature, but it's a, a thought form that is just originated from all the popularity? I don't know. I like the idea. Right. I, I, I wonder I wonder a lot about, you know, like how much of this is some sort of, of imp- you know, like cultural memory or something. Right. You know, like I've, I've heard we used to talk about this on my show Sasslet a lot because sometimes one of the weirder counter theories to, to Bigfoot is that it's some sort of universal memory of like us as our, like our, our long lost wild man ancestors. And somehow, you know, we're just remembering there's some part of the brain that remembers that and you're, you're not actually seeing a physical manifestation or, you know, physical being, but you're seeing some sort of manifestation of, of your your cultural memory of of being a wild man out in the woods. I don't know what I think of that stuff though, because like I don't we, we do, if we can't. To me, it's almost like trying to solve the the Bigfoot issue with like UFOs, you know, by saying, "Well, it's an alien." To me, it's it's like trying to solve a mystery with another mystery, and and that just exactly right the whole thing. Um, but but I do I do wonder about things like that because, you know, like especially when it comes to Bigfoot, just because of the, the, I really think when it comes to Bigfoot, that there's, there's something that's going on other than misidentifying bear and, and people hoaxing tracks and stuff, you know, like right. I, I, don't, I don't think all, all the tracks are hoaxed. And if all the tracks are hoaxed, then or aren't hoaxed, then I'm saying there's a Bigfoot, but I'm not quite ready to say there's a Bigfoot because I haven't seen one for myself, you know, and I don't know. I, I sometimes feel like being, being into all of this is, is a constant war with yourself because like there's a very skeptical side. Uh, I, I possess a very skeptical side, but I also possess a very open-minded, almost naive at times side that really wants to believe that, that there, there is a Bigfoot and there is a Loch Ness monster and, and that kind of stuff, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. Right. And that's, you know, I was trying to explain to, I I think it was my brother one time, because he, he is the, why do you even talk about that? It's not real. It's crazy. And I think I told him one time, because his main point was, well, you've never seen one. We've never found one. And like I told him, I was like, okay, take a walk out in the woods and ha- tell me how many like porcupines or possums or raccoons you see taking a walk in the woods. And uh-huh. keep in mind that those are just, not to say dumb animals, but, you know, they're just animals. So then you take something like Sasquatch into account that is a hominid and, you know, therefore probably has a little bit higher brain capacity that knows you're there and has the capacity to hide and everything. It's like, what makes you think that you're going to see one when you go walk in the woods? So you can't tell sure. me that because I haven't seen it, it doesn't exist. Sure. I mean, if they, I've always figured if, if we showed, okay, so, so white men show up in America and we, we shoot one of them or we shoot at one of them, or they see us shooting at native tribes or killing native tribes or, or in a war with native tribes or whatever. I mean, what, you know, what would, who's to say that they wouldn't know to avoid mankind? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're right. They, they, they would possess a, a greater intelligence than, you know, like a, a common bear, I would imagine. Yeah. But, um, 
No, I, I definitely think when it comes to Bigfoot, I think there's more arguments in favor of their existence than almost almost anything other than, you know, like some sort of deep sea monsters, which I love the idea of as well, by the way, like some sort of, because like, I mean, there's so much ocean, you know, on, on earth that we haven't explored. I, I have to believe there's massive monsters down there just waiting to devour all of us. Oh yeah. Cause what is it? They but, always say yeah. we know more about the surface of the moon than we do the sure. ocean. So yeah. 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 But when it, when it comes to Bigfoot, I do think there's 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 definitely some sort of reality behind that. I just don't know what it is. I haven't I, I haven't figured it out for myself. I I more than more than any other cryptid, I kind of give credence to a physical, real life Bigfoot's existence than probably anything else. But um, at the same time, as a storyteller, something like Mothman or or the movie we're doing next or UFOlogy is kind of I love these stories just as much as the Bigfoot stuff, and at times a little bit more because, you know, n- not every Bigfoot story is like Minerva. You know, I, I love the Minerva monster story so much, but for the most part, a lot of the stories are just, I was walking in the woods and I saw this shape in the distance, you know, whereas with ufology, you've got people being abducted on back roads and <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, weird, weird recall stories and giant weird owls showing up in their house and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Rabid weasels. Rabid weasels. So, okay, so we've we've gone through. You've you've looked at all these different Bigfoot type creatures, Mothman. Um, what 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 next project do, would you really like to get into? Do you want to look into some sort of aquatic creature? Um, I mean, what what really? Get your attention when you think about well, what I want to do next. Jersey Devil. <laughs> uh, Brandon really wants to do a Jersey Devil. Yes, I love the Jersey Boy, Devil. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's the people. Like honestly, it really is. It's the people in the stories more than anything else. With with Mothman, the the human element was what drew me to that story to begin with, and and you know the same with with Boggy Creek and obviously Minerva and Whitehall. I mean, the, the sightings themselves, they're going to be fascinating no matter what. I mean, they're, they're going to be fascinating to a greater or lesser extent, but if the people haven't been impacted by it or you immediately get the sensation or the, the gist that they're lying to you, then the story doesn't interest me. So, you know, I I really wanted to do a Mothman story because of the Silver Bridge collapse. Honestly, that's that's one of the things that drew me to it was getting to explore a story that had such a kind of tragic event that affected the town in such a major way at the heart of it. Um, with you know, with Minerva, I loved the Caton family and I, I loved that story and the the personal side of that. So now Invasion is going to be a different kind of story for us to tackle because we i i don't necessarily have a main character that i'm planning on talking to yet what what what's drawing me to the invasion story is getting to explore that particular story for myself for the first time Mm -hmm. um it's it's like it's so many weird things it's funny i was just talking about like solving a mystery with another mystery and that's entirely what invasion (laughs) on chestnut ridge is going to be about because it's like ufos and bigfoots and thunderbirds and all kinds of weird stuff going on um and some of that is just because i i really want to explore that entire weird 
aspect of, of Bigfoot dumb and ufology for myself. Um, and obviously I love the, the Kecksburg story. And I know that's going to delve into the Kecksburg story at least a little bit, but yeah, for the most part, when we, when we're choosing a movie, it, it comes down to what the people are like and, and how they were affected by the story, the, the monster sightings. That's I'm, I'm really looking forward to that ever since I've heard you talking about the, the next film. Um, mm-hmm. so let's see. So the, with the Mothman in Point Pleasant, in the way the story's endured all this time. Um, do you find that when you're looking at projects and you're doing the research and getting the film together, are you constantly running into new information that just really kind of shocks you, kind of brings you back and be like, wow, I've, I've never even heard this before. Or I've never even seen anything about the story like this. Yeah. I think every, every movie we've made, we've run into that. Like with, with Boggy Creek Monster, what shocked us was that no matter how how sure we were of what our schedule was going to be, it never followed. It, 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 we never were able to stay on a schedule. So, like, we had our first day was supposed to be our easy day, and we're supposed to show up in Falk and start filming. And instead, we walked into the Monster Mart. I, I walked into the Monster Mart. My other guys hadn't even managed to get themselves out of the vans yet. And the first person I talked to was Smokey Crabtree's grandson. And they, you know, they invited us to the property to film for the first time since Charles B. Pierce filmed there. So, you know, like every every movie we do, uh, inevitably you run into some situation that you had no idea was going to come up we we interviewed a guy on mothman who claimed to see the mothman in his bedroom back in 1966 (laughs) nice um yeah and and i'd never heard that story before so i mean and that's leaving out the fact that jeff gave us these audio taped interviews that i don't think have ever been heard and that jeff gave us um footage from the silver bridge the the day after the silver bridge collapse has never been seen publicly so we've got uh, it's like every every project and i don't really think you'd be able to do one of these movies without running into this situation unless you were like super lazy and basically just showed up you know like you were uh, uh that's probably how it is for cruise from like monster quest or what you know not the monster quest is still around that was a great show but um, <laughs> yes it was the cr- cr- crews who mostly just show up to interview people i imagine for for a major network they have everything down pat you know like say this say this and we're gone but what we tend to do is talk to the people and and let them kind of tell their story and inevitably that brings forward all kinds of stuff that you know probably we never would have run across otherwise so now uh, the uh, Mothman uh, documentary you have coming out, the there's the special VIP screening in Point Pleasant that you have coming up for that in May. How do, how yeah. does that feel to have you know you're showing that piece that you've put together in Point Pleasant, right where everything took place? Is it just you're as excited as can be, or is there that little bit of sheer terror kind of in the background of you know, oh God, how's this gonna go? Yeah, I think it's like mostly terror right now. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> the, the, the difference between this and any other story we've told is that this story has been told ad nauseum all over the place in, in numerous books and TV shows and movies. 
So, and I was advised by multiple people not to make this movie, including Lauren Coleman. Um, so when you're trying to get the movie together, my, my focus needs to be the story itself, not, well, how am I going to make this different from everything else? It's got to be, well, how are we telling our story? You know, um, cause I think otherwise you end up getting the whole thing confused and it becomes this, this crazy thing where you're just trying to put your own stamp on it. And you know, when we're when we're gonna go to Point Pleasant and show the movie to a bunch of people who probably already seen every documentary on Mothman, and are expecting you to bring something new new to the table, um, yeah, that's that's a little more terrifying. I've never been in this situation before because the most common question we're getting right now is like, well, what what do you have? You know, what what new information do you have? And you know, like, I don't even know how to answer that question. I mean, we've got <laughs> sightings that no one's no one's ever heard of before, and we have a very specific mode of telling our stories. You know, that I don't think you get in other cryptid and paranormal entertainment. Um, and we we put everything in a in a kind of chronological way that it hasn't been done in any of the other documentaries. I've seen them all. I know how the stories are told. You've it, 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 and, and we're not trying to like compete with something like Eyes of the Mothman either. You know, it's just a great documentary and it's extremely thorough and in depth. Um, but this isn't that at all. It's it's its completely own kind of examination of the Mothman story that happened between '66 and '67. We don't spend a bunch of time in our movie on like here's all the different theories on what Mothman might be. Um, I'd rather people watch the movie and make up for their minds for themselves. We don't even spend a ton of time um, examining what people are seeing. People know for the most part what the Mothman is and what people claim to have seen. So there's artists, illustrations of what the Mothman was. And there's, there's recounting obviously by witnesses of what they saw. But I'm, I really, our movies don't spend a great deal of time going into you know, here's here's all the, the pros for the existence of Mothman and here's all the cons for the existence of Mothman. I mean, early on in, in putting the movie together, we were asked by someone if um, we were going to let the skeptics have their their voice heard in the movie. And I my my response to it is, well, if there's a skeptic that was involved in that story back in 66 and 67, I'll, I'll put him in the movie. Um but there, there really isn't anyone for me to talk to. I mean, you know, that Dr. Johnson from the West Virginia, uh, you or wherever it was that said it was a sandhill crane. He's not around anymore for me to talk to. And everyone's heard Joel Nichols, you know, take on it. And he, he didn't, he wasn't there in 66 and 67. Mm -hmm. So we have a quick, you know, brief touch upon the fact that some people thought it was a sandhill crane. And then we move on to, letting the witnesses tell their stories. So yeah, the, the short answer is I'm absolutely terrified of showing <laughs> it. Um, but more so at the premiere, the, the official premiere isn't until September at the festival. So even the, though the movie will be out on DVD and available um, streaming, it'll, you know, the first time it's going to be seen on, on a large screen in a big audience setting open to the public is going to be, September when we show it at the festival, but yeah, the the pre-release VIP screening where you get to watch it with us, you'll you'll mostly get to sit there and watch me just slowly have a meltdown. Over the <laughs> nice. Um, now, one last question for me here that uh, I'm going to hand it to Chad, but uh, 
you said there were uh, lots of people, or maybe not lots, but there were people that said uh, you shouldn't even make the uh, Mothman film. Did any of those happen to be in black suits? Um, let me think. That just kind of came up and said, hey, don't make the movie, and then just turned around and left? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, off the top of my head, I want to say like 50% of them. But I mean, you know, that could be that that could, that could have been anything, <laughs> right? Anything, Underst- understood. Yeah. Anybody, whatever. Yeah. Fine. Will Smith. Most of them showed up at my house, kind of late at night. You big. know, rang the doorbell, and I'd open the door, and they'd say, "Don't do it," and then walk away in a <laughs> in a big black Toronado or something like that. He tried yeah. to offer him Jello, but yeah. they just didn't understand. <laughs> what is Jello? <laughs> Jello. Nice. Well, so the um, special VIP pre-release screening is going to be Saturday at 6 p.m. at the Low Hotel on May 27th. Um, you can get your tickets at themothmanfestival.com. Uh, Seth, what other great places can people go to look at your uh, information, pick up your documentaries, any sort of swag? Um, shop.smalltownmonsters.com is where... T-shirts and posters and copies of the movies on DVD are available. We are in the process of getting uh, Beast of White Hall and Boggy Creek Monster out there on iTunes, Google Play. Um, Boggy Creek should be available pretty much everywhere in about two months. So you'll be able to get it iTunes, Google Play, Xbox Store, PlayStation Store, we're, we're talking with Hulu and Netflix. Um, so Boggy should be kind of everywhere by this summer. Um, Mothman, we're kind of hoping it'll have a pretty wide release when it comes out. We're, we're working with our distributor on getting it to the point where it would be available on June 2nd, kind of in the same capacity as, as Boggy Creek Monster, to where you can get it in pretty much every streaming avenue there is. Um, I'm not 100% sure. It might be a couple of weeks after the initial release, but at the very least on June 2nd, you'll be able to get Mothman um, on our web store, um, shop.smalltownmonsters.com. And that'll be up for pre-order in the next few weeks. Um, okay. So look out for that. But on Amazon, it'll definitely be available. Amazon and Vimeo On Demand um, on June 2nd, you'll be able to get it on both of those streaming avenues and then i'm hopeful though that it will be available on itunes google play all that stuff as well and everybody will be able to keep up with updates and everything on your facebook page yeah the facebook is where we do the most updating there is a new website uh com, and i have a blog over there that i need to start updating with um videos and and stuff like that at some point here soon because we've got tons of behind the scenes content we've never released but i that i now have a a place to do that so at some point i'm going to start doing that but yeah the facebook we do um actually this coming week we're going to do the uh, small town monsters live show that we do um basically people can show up and watch watch us record the show live and ask questions and it kind of steers the direction of the show and then we post those to a uh, well, the show's recorded and aired through a local radio station, but then we, we actually release it as a podcast shortly after. Yeah, I've, I've listened before. It's pretty awesome. Well, Seth, I, I can't thank you enough for talking with us today. The documentaries are wonderful. You know, keep them coming. Definitely look forward to them. We're hoping to get ourselves to the VIP showing in Point Pleasant. Is there anything else, uh, any 
future projects you want to talk about or anything else coming up that you want to uh, throw out there today while we're talking? Um, I'm doing the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Camping Adventure in early May. I can't remember the exact date of that, but that's early May. And then on May 20th, I am doing a screening of either Boggy Creek Monster or Minerva Monster in um, Canton, Ohio at Sippo Lake State Park as part of their Bigfoot Day. Um, so we're, we've got a couple of things lined up. Uh, the movie's coming out, obviously. In, on June 2nd, Mothman will be out. And we have two library screenings scheduled during June and another in July. So I know I've got... Uh, yeah, we've got a lot going on over the next some, – this summer's going to be crazy. September, I'm not even I'm, – I'm just gone. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll be in Montana. I'll be in West Virginia. I'll be um, I'll be gone a lot. So it's, it's, it's a very busy year. And then we've got Invasion coming out in October. All right. Well, I know your schedule is so busy. We're, I was really appreciative of you uh, coming on and talking with us today. Right, right. Oh, I love it. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's, it's always fun to just nonchalantly chat with people about this stuff. Yeah, and anything that you have coming up, by all means, you know, let us know. We'll, we can dedicate a whole show, and we'd love, we'd love to have you on again. It's great to talk to you. Definitely. All right, so, yeah, once again, uh, good luck with any future projects, and keep up the good work, and hopefully we'll uh, see you in May. But... Thank you once again so much, Seth, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you, sir. You can find Paranormal Guys online at paranormalguys.com, and you can listen to the show and do all number of things related to Paranormal Guys from there. And we are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash paranormalguys. Yay. <laughs> Chad likes the Facebook. I do, which is good. But yeah, because Chad updates that from time to time with really interesting little quirky stories from around the world. Fun tidbits. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Why are you? Do- <laughs> Why are you scared, Chris? Because you're you have demon voices. No, I'm fine. You've been possessed or something. I, I and one other thing you can do if you're looking at the old Paranormal Guys Facebook page is head on over to William Blanchard's Facebook page. He's the gentleman that does all the music for the show. Musical genius. Yes, he is. And you can find him at facebook.com slash William Blanchard Soundtrack. Oh, hold on, Chris. Yes. The hell you say. Oh. Oh. Wow. That Uh was special. It was. Had to get that in there. I did. Well, to your the hell you say, I come back with a have a paranormal weeks. Yeah, Chris will put anything on the page. I don't. I don't do that stuff because I'm, I'm. I'm not young enough. I don't just get it. volunteering. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like I'm volunteering to do that, that sort of thing. <laughs>